Fantastic. Well, did anyone get to go away over the summer? No. <laughs> you all sound so excited. Did any? You did go away. I'm sure you went away. You're always away. You always make out you never have any holiday. It's not true. <laughs> Praise God. Right. Well, apart from Kofo, is everyone happy? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, if you want to um, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. You were off on Thursday and Friday this week. <laughs> I'm going to resist. One Samuel chapter fifteen from verse one. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you, king over his people Israel. So now listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put, them, put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. And Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. And then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you among, along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel and there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. And when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Samuel answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites and they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the, from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. 
But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. It's quite a challenging um, portion of scripture uh, in, in many different ways. But right at the heart of this, we have Saul who is given an instruction. Saul who is given a command and he knows what he is supposed to do. And he fails to carry out what God has spoken to him. He fails to be obedient to exactly what God has told him to do. And when he's challenged on that disobedience, when he's challenged on only carrying out part of what God said to him, he first of all tries to hide behind his men, doesn't he? He says, well, it was the soldiers, it wasn't me, um, which is basically kind of what humanity has had a tendency to do right from the very beginning. It was her, not me. Um, but he tries to hide behind the soldiers and, and then he tries to go all kind of spiritual and religious, doesn't he? He says, well, actually I kept the best back um, for, for the sacrifices, for the offerings. And Samuel, the, the prophet of God, says to Saul, but to obey is better than sacrifice. To be obedient, to hold unswervingly and to comply with what God has said to you is better than all the religious ceremonies in the world. Than all the shows and spectacles and acts of devotion and worship that you could put on for God. What would please him more is your obedience to him. Because obedience is better than sacrifice and rebellion, resisting God's authority, going against what he has said to you, doing the opposite of what he has told you to do, or even simply not doing what he's told you to do, or doing what he's told you not to do, rebellion is as the sin of divination, of witchcraft. Arrogance, haughtiness, self-importance, a sense of superiority. Because when you stop and think about it, this was arrogance because God had said, this is what I want you to do. But he decided he knew better. He elevated himself. He was suddenly more important. What he thought was best was more important than what God had said. Isn't that the root of all sin? Isn't that what Satan has always done? Try to raise himself up to God's level and even higher? Isn't that what he 
tempted us to do to try to exalt ourselves in our own eyes. Arrogance. That sense of superiority is like the evil of idolatry, Samuel says. Like worshipping false gods. Because when we decide that we know better than God, it's like we're worshipping ourselves above God. Probably aren't many of us here today who would say outright that we are higher or more important than God. I'm kind of assuming that most of us here um, wouldn't say that. But when we know that God has told us to do something, when we know that God has told us not to do something, when we know that God has spoken to us through the scriptures, or when we know that he has spoken by his spirit into our hearts and our understanding, and we know and we're aware that God has spoken to us, when we choose to ignore that, what are we saying? What are we saying about his authority? What are we saying about his role in our lives and how we stand in relation to that? Of course, the the scripture we've read is from the Old Testament. So praise the Lord, we can forget about that one, can't we? Well, maybe not. The context is the Old Covenant. And of course, yes, we are now living in the New Covenant. Isn't it all about grace in the new covenant? Isn't it all about what Jesus has done for us? Surely we would never expect that we could earn anything through our obedience. And and this is all completely true. Completely true. But we've totally misunderstood the new covenant if we think that it in any way relegates or diminishes the importance of obedience to God. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 together. Romans chapter 5. From verse 15. The gift of God is not like the trespass, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life. For all people, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. 
the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The root of grace is obedience. The root of the grace of God that you and I now live in, the free gift of God's grace, it is all because of Christ's obedience. Christ was obedient to death, even death on a cross, and his obedience brought righteousness to us. We are righteous, we are declared righteous, and we are able to live righteous lives because of Christ's obedience. So now we are able to be obedient to God. We were slaves to sin, and the Bible says that we had to be obedient to our master. So we were obedient to sin. We were under the rule and reign of sin, and we we were just great at serving our master, sin. But Jesus, because of his obedience, what we were powerless to do, he has set us free from that old master of sin. And now we are free to be obedient as slaves of righteousness because of his obedience. Not because of us. Not because we can earn anything. Not because through our own obedience we can somehow be declared righteous before God. But because of Christ's obedience... We can now become obedient children of God. Christ's sacrifice on the cross paid the price for our sin. And all the way through the Old Testament, we see the example of sacrifice and how animals were sacrificed to deal with with sin, but it was a partial, it was a kind of shadow of an, an image to show us what God was going to do. Because of course the, the blood of bulls and goats could never fully deal with sin, but it was pointing towards how this, this shedding of blood, this giving of life, was the way that God would deal with our breaking of the covenant he had made with us. He purchased our forgiveness with his blood. But what took place on the cross was more than sacrifice. If all we think of is a sacrificial lamb, then we've only got part of the picture. If all we think of is that he paid the penalty, he shed his blood and he paid the price, then all that does is wipes the slate clean and gives me another go, but leaves me no different to how I was before. If all he did was give a sacrifice, then there is forgiveness, but there is no transformation. There's no change. There's no new creation. There's no new, new me. I'm just as powerless as I was before, but I can be forgiven, and then I can be forgiven, and then I can be forgiven, and then I can be forgiven. But I'm trapped in a cycle. Oh, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. But he'll forgive me, and he'll forgive me, and he'll forgive me. But that is not all that Christ has done at the cross. Because to obey is better than sacrifice. So he did more than, because you think of that animal for a moment. That animal that was sacrificed in the Old Testament. He never gave his life willingly. He never had to demonstrate obedience. He was never given any choice. 
It was led and it was slaughtered. And it really didn't take part in, in what was going on. He didn't have any choice. But Jesus, in the garden, he prayed to his father. And he prayed with anguish. Now, was Jesus just more scared of crucifixion than all the other criminals that had been crucified before him and would be crucified after him? As horrific as crucifixion is, as horrific a means of execution it was, barbaric though it was, Jesus was not the only human being to ever go through that. So I know sometimes we tell the story of the gospel and we try and make everyone feel how horrific this crucifixion was. And it was. But that was not the worst thing that Jesus had to choose to go through in order to be obedient to his father. Because Jesus had to choose to take upon himself the sin of the whole world so that the wrath of God Almighty could be poured out upon him. If we think that all he went through, as barbaric and horrific as it is, if we think that all he went through was some nails being hammered through his flesh and suffocating on a cross, then we've missed the fullness of what took place that day. But all of our sin was poured out upon him. When he said, Father, I would that you would take this cup away from me, He was talking about the cup of God's wrath that he was being made to drink on our behalf. He did not want of his own will to go through that, but he chose to put obedience first. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because for him, obedience was what mattered more than anything else. Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And that obedience brought righteousness to you and me. Because it's not just that your sin is taken away, but Christ's righteousness, his obedience, his holiness is imputed to you. It's credited to your account. You are sanctified. You are made holy. You are clothed with righteousness. In royal robes, I don't deserve because of Christ, the royal son's obedience. Because of what he did on that cross, I am made righteous. I am made holy. I'm not just forgiven. I'm not just let off. But I'm transformed and I'm changed. And I am now able to be obedient to God. Titus 2, 11 to 14 tells us that it is by the grace of God that we are now able to say no to ungodliness. It's by the grace of God that you are now able to be obedient. And God's provision of grace is not so that you can be some rebellious, disobedient child that always gets away with it because you've got this doting dad who just can't resist you and gives a nudge and a wink and, oh, there's grace. Because that cheapens what Jesus did on the cross. 
And as the writer of the, to the Hebrews puts it, we trample the blood of Christ underfoot when we imply such an attitude. Jesus shed his blood and gave his life and submitted to the will of the Father so that you and I could receive his righteousness and so that we could be empowered to be obedient to God. Because we should be very clear that Jesus demands obedience. Perhaps some of the most famous verses of Scripture Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples. What do you do when you make disciples? You baptize them. You bring them into the new creation reality by celebrating that they are cut off from that old life that was centered on them. You send them down into the water and they participate with Christ in his death. That they might also participate with him in his resurrection to a new life in Christ. With him and me and me in him. And what do you do, these freshly baptized, new creation followers of Jesus? What do you do? You teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. This is what it means to make a disciple. Teach them to be obedient to whatever Jesus says. Because every act of obedience, every act of obedience, whether it's big or whether it's small, is an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every time you obey something that God says to you, whether it's a general principle established through Scripture, whether it's something seemingly tiny that no one else would know about, but you heard the Holy Spirit whisper it into your heart, and he said, just go and do this. Every time, whether it's God says to you on the way home today, just go up and pick up a a loaf of bread and take it around to so-and-so's house. And you're obedient. In that moment, in doing that, however it works out, you were obedient. You proclaimed, Jesus is my Lord. God rules and reigns in my life. Every time we obey him in anything at all, we manifest the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in action. So every single time you are obedient to God in anything at all, you manifest the kingdom of God in the earth. We we pray, don't we? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're kind of good with the idea of the, of the big things that aren't our fault. You know, the, the stuff in the news that's kind of beyond us, and, and it's clear that it's awful, terrible things that are happening, and, oh, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And God says to you, great, I'd like you to double what you give in the offering. No, 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 you don't understand, Lord. I'm praying about your kingdom now. 
complaining about your rule and your reign on the earth. And I want peace and I want justice and I, I want righteousness in all those places over there. And he says, great. I just want you to spend half an hour a week with this person. No, you don't understand, Lord. They're really annoying. I want to pray about the kingdom coming to the earth. Exactly. So I just want you to do what I say. I just want you to manifest the kingdom of God in your life. Because do you know what? If every single Christian, every son and daughter of God, resolved and determined that I will do whatever he tells me to do, I wonder if we might see an acceleration of the purposes of God in our world. Didn't Jesus say, the kingdom of God is within you? It's in your midst. It's within you. Because when you got born again, he planted the seed of his kingdom in your life. Because you said, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Jesus Christ is king. He's ruler. He's the ruler of everything. And that seed now gets to grow in your life. And every time he speaks to you, Every time you read from his word, every time a Christian brother or sister comes and encourages you with the truth of what God has to say, reminds you of the scripture, reminds you of prophetic word, every time you encounter him through a dream or a vision or a picture, every time he speaks to you through circumstance, every time you hear God or encounter him speaking to you in any way at all, every time it's an opportunity for that kingdom seed to grow in you. For the rule and reign of God to become further established in your life. See, this is the purpose that you were born for. To take the rule and reign of God to the ends of the earth. To fill the earth and subdue it. Bring it under the rule and reign of God. If we're going to do that, we have to begin by bringing every area of our lives under his rule and authority. When Saul disobeyed, when he was disobedient to what God had said to him. However much he tried to dress it up, as, however much he tried to make excuses, however much he tried to say, well, it was all for God, really. At that moment, he lost his kingdom. He lost his rule. He lost what he, his destiny that he was, he was supposed to fulfill to bring God's rule to Israel. He missed out on that. Because he failed to embrace God's rule in his own life. If we're going to be used by God to extend his kingdom to the ends of the earth, then we must be ruled by him. We must be obedient. And it's a constant theme through the dealings of God with his people in the Old Testament. Again and again and again, they are told that if you will obey me, if you will obey me, then your territory will expand and increase and you'll be blessed. 
and you'll have everything that you need and, and God's hand will be with you and God's presence will be with you. And the New Testament is clear that what happened in those Old Testament stories is to serve as an example to us. In Luke 11, 27 and 28, it says, As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. I mean, you can understand, can't you? If they'd caught a glimpse of who Jesus was and they saw his mother, they were like, wow, she's blessed. She's the mother of God. And Jesus says, you know what? You're more blessed if you will obey what God says to you. That's a lot of blessing. If you will obey, you see, we get a bit nervous about blessing, don't we? We get a bit nervous about reward because we're supposed to be selfless and we're supposed to be ever so humble and, and, and we don't do it for the reward. You know, we don't do it for the recognition. But actually, you are supposed to do it for the reward. It's just not the reward of man. It's just not for the reward and the, uh, and the accolades from, from people around you. But you are supposed to be motivated by that desire to hear God say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, you did a great job. There is reward again and again and again. We're told in the scripture there is reward for us when we are obedient to what God has to say to us and how he would lead us. There is reward for you in this life and in the next. The scripture is clear. There is reward. You see, God loves to bless you. But the principle that is established for us in scripture is the way we trigger and release his blessing is through our obedience. You say, well, I feel uncomfortable. Aren't we going back into old? No, we're not. You see, God wants you blessed so much that he knew you couldn't live the obedient life that would release the fullness of life that he had always purposed for you. Life in all of its fullness, life in all of its abundance, the blessed life, the best life possible. He knew you couldn't live in obedience in a way that would release you into that life. So he sent Jesus. And through his obedience, through his obedience, you were rescued from your disobedience and brought into a new life so that you could be obedient. And so you can receive the blessings of God through your obedience, not because of you, but because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. But the truth remains, your obedience will trigger blessing. Your obedience to God will trigger blessing in your life. I can't tell you what it will look like. And I can't promise you it will always look like what you imagine now it should look like. But I can tell you, you will have life in all of its fullness. You will have life forevermore. I can tell you that you will know the presence of God with you, sustaining you and strengthening you. I can tell you that his joy will be your strength. And I can tell you that he does want to bless you. He does want to bless you. He does want to provide for you. He does want you whole and healthy. He wants you emotionally healthy. He wants you physically healthy. He wants you having all your needs met. He wants you to have more than enough so that you can meet the needs of others around you. He wants to bless you. 
Now we go through trials and challenges and times of suffering in our life, but it does not change the fact that God wants to bless you. And so he says, will you be obedient to me? Will you be obedient to my voice? Because my desire is to bless you. John 8, 51. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And these words you hear are not my own, they belong to the father who sent me. Anyone who loves me will obey me and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. That sounds to me like a blessed life. If you will be obedient to God, he will come and make his home with you. Isn't that fantastic? I'm not suggesting that you can earn anything. I'm just telling you that God wants to bless you with fullness of life as it was always supposed to be. So we need to listen to what God is saying to us in our lives, don't we? We need to know what God is saying because he's just waiting to release blessing and abundance in our lives through our obedience to him. Whether it's the general principles, the specific commands of scripture, or like we've talked about those those words that people share with you, when you know that God is speaking, when you know it's just a, it's seemingly just such a small and simple instruction, but you know, often God starts with those small little things. Because it's he who has been faithful with the small thing who can be trusted with the bigger thing. So oftentimes God will start with seemingly small and perhaps to us seemingly insignificant things, but he's building that relationship where we will be obedient to his voice. Cause us to live for him. Cause us to share the gospel with people around us. He calls us to lay our lives down for other people. He commands us to be generous. He commands us to love one another. He commands us to think of others before ourselves. And he does command us. See, sometimes we we get a little bit confused about this whole idea of control. And we say, well, God gives us self-control. And the Holy Spirit doesn't force us to do anything. And and that is true. But that does not mean we should not think for a moment that because he's called the counselor, it means he kind of gives us counsel that we can weigh up. And I don't know if I'll follow that one, actually. You see, the Holy Spirit is God. So when the Holy Spirit says, you should do this, you should not listen to the Holy Spirit like you listen to your mate down the road who says I think you should rip all that turf out and start again I don't think so this is God God living in you who says you should do this God just said you should do this rebellion is as the sin of divination arrogance is like idolatry God, almighty, king of the universe, just said, you should do this. He didn't say, I'm going to force you. I'm going to take control of your body and possess you in such a way as you just cannot help but do the thing I want you to do. But he did say, you should do this. 
He did say, I want you to do this. Now, sometimes God does give us choices. Sometimes God says, you can have this or you can have this. And that's okay, but we need to know the difference between when God is saying, you can have this or you can have this, or when God is saying, you can have this and you can have this, but you should do this. Yeah? Like when he said before his people, you can have life or you can have death. Oh, here's a hint. Choose life. Oh, my time is up. It's not about living according to a written code. It's not about going back to law. It's about knowing the Holy Spirit. But the scripture says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with Him. Let's be obedient. Let's be obedient children of God. To obey is better than sacrifice. The Father didn't force Jesus to go to the cross. And it wasn't what Jesus would have chosen. But ultimately, he chose obedience. Because to obey is better than sacrifice. Let's make positive choices. Really positive choices. That in this next season of our lives, we are going to resolve to be obedient to whatever God says to us. Let's start out. Let's be radical about this. Just whatever he tells us to do. Let's resolve. Whatever you say to me, Lord. I want to hear you more. I want to hear you speaking to me more. I want to read more of what you have to say to me in the word. In fact, why don't we just close our eyes right now. and Just begin to speak to God in your own heart. God, I want to be obedient to you. I want to unlock and release and provoke your blessing in my life. I want to receive that blessing in such a way that it overflows and touches the lives of people around me. I want people to see a life lived in the fullness of relationship with you. I want my life just to show something of of what it looks like when your kingdom rule and reign comes. I want to show what it looks like to live under your rule, to be obedient to you. Lord, I want to make positive choices to be obedient to everything that you say to me. I want to be an obedient son. I want to be an obedient daughter. Lord, I want to enjoy the incredible blessing and reward that you release in me and through me as a result of that obedience. So I thank you, Jesus, for your obedience on the cross. I thank you that it has brought life and righteousness and obedience to me. And I thank you that I can do and be more than I could ever have hoped to be through obedience to you and your spirit within me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.